You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-plus-year partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. Having a set of standards to measure your security organization by, being able to compare your security posture to other organizations, and being able to justify your choices to investors and insurance firms, well, that all sounds good, right? It's beneficial to have widely agreed upon standards of care and measurement in cybersecurity to help know where you stand, where there's room for improvement, and what's important to you. That's where frameworks come in. And the NIST Cybersecurity Framework is one of the most popular in the cybersecurity industry. In this CyberWire Special Edition, we'll examine frameworks in general and the NIST Cybersecurity Framework specifically to see if adopting them is worth the time, energy, and expense it takes. Joining us are Rick Tracy, Chief Security Officer for Telos Corporation, Rafal Los, Managing Director of the Solution and Program Insight Group at Optiv Security, and Matt Barrett, Program Manager for the Cybersecurity Framework at NIST. Stay with us. I come from the world of certification accreditation in the in the late 1980s. That's Rick Tracy from Telos where every federal government organization did their, what, what we call now, cyber risk and compliance management. Every organization did it their own way. And that creates problems because for you to tell me that your system is secure, I, you know, I really don't know what benchmarks or baselines, what process, what workflow. I really don't understand how you came about determining that you indeed are secure. Having a framework in place means that you're not off doing something again for the first time every time, right? It's, it takes previous knowledge into effect. That's Rafal Los from Optiv. Uh, somebody has spent some time to uh, look at a problem, create its abstract, uh, understand the pieces, and then provide prescriptive at that right level uh, guidance in a way that is repeatable, uh, measurable, and provides actual problem-solving value. I look at a framework as a structure in which to make a decision. That's Matt Barrett. He's from NIST. 
NIST is the National Institute of Standards and Technology. We're a part of the United States Department of Commerce. The big milestone was Executive Order 13636. That executive order happened in March 2013 from the Obama administration. Which was executive order for improving critical infrastructure cybersecurity. And specifically in Section 7, the Department of Commerce uh, was tasked with coming up with a framework that would reduce risk for critical infrastructure, private sector, owners and operators. Since then, we've actually progressed to the the spirit of Executive Order 13636 was written into the Cybersecurity Enhancement Act of 2014, and that's really the charter by which we continue. It was originally intended for critical infrastructure, and unlike the risk management framework, which is mandatory in federal agencies, the cybersecurity framework was designed to be a voluntary framework. They did a really nice job working with industry to develop something that was helpful, yet not too onerous. It's something that the, that the business community, critical infrastructure sectors of which there are 16 could get behind. And so the fact that it was developed in a collaborative way has really made it of interest to industries in these 16 sectors. The challenges of creating a framework is getting, you know, 10,000 of your closest friends to agree on a pizza topping. Every company is just a little bit different. Every team is just a little bit different. Everybody approaches the problem and understands it just a little bit differently. The trick with frameworks and why it's not something everybody can just sit down and just do in 10 minutes is how do you create a framework that is applicable to everyone implementable by everyone, but not so prescriptive that um, it, it excludes any particular use case, right? So it's a, it's a very, very delicate balancing act. And I think that that's kind of why it's so hard is, um, and so many frameworks get this wrong, you either become under prescriptive or over prescriptive. One of the many things that it does for you is it enables consistent cyber risk communication across an organization. And what I mean by that is, There are five easy to understand functions, uh, identify, protect, detect, respond, recover, those are the five. And those functions then relate to categories of cyber risk objectives, which are then fed by a more granular set of roughly 100 subcategories, which then make reference to detailed controls NIST has done a good job of pointing to controls, 853 or ISO or, or, or various others, so that you can, as an organization, understand, oh, this is what they really mean by this particular subcategory. This construct of functions, categories, subcategories, and then pointing to references or, or controls allows an organization to discuss risk at different levels of detail based on who the audience is, right? So I like to say that you have the ability to communicate cyber risk objectives and outcomes from the server room to the boardroom because there's different levels of detail that are described within the cybersecurity framework core. Okay, so you got that? Don't worry, there's not going to be a quiz. But basically, the NIST cybersecurity framework starts with broad high-level categories and drills down from there. There are multiple layers, so you can choose to dial in how deep you want to dive. And oftentimes when people think of the framework, they're thinking of the core because on high it's just five words, identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. Now there's customizing the core for a given organization or sector or subsector. 
And when you customize, a big feature of that is prioritization, because when we uh, hold all things important, uh, nothing is important. How do we decide what cybersecurity things are most important to us? That artifact is called a profile. That's a customization of a core for you. And thirdly, there's something called uh, implementation tier. An implementation tier is a uh, high-level measurement of organizational behavior. It's a one through four scale is the measurement scale there, and it has a bit of a maturity model feel to it. But one key feature, key difference uh, in logic between this and a typical maturity model is the inherent trade-off analysis. It costs money to be a four on this measurement scale. And so in order to afford to be a four in one dimension of your business, you might need to be a three or even a two in order to offset those expenses. I mean, if you look at the the NIST CSF, you've got the core, you've got your domains, right? Identity, that's a big thing, right? We should be looking at identity, you know, protect, detect, respond, right? Recover. I, I think these are core fundamentals of how we function in security. And if you, it's just a way, a structured way of thinking about the problem that we're trying to solve and say, because how many times have, have I personally gotten, I'm sure those of your listeners that are listening, oh, not along to this, you ask, you know, how many times have you gotten asked from an advisory stance, you know, am I doing enough? What is enough? Right. And, and you could look at it and say, well, are, are you checking all these boxes? Right. So that's the, that's the, that's the one thing that I always get from uh, from folks that are detractors that don't like this approach that say, well, all you're doing is giving me a bunch of checkboxes that I can just simply do and get away with. Yes, that, that, that's essentially a, it's a starting position. Right. But it gives you all the things that others have thought about, have experienced, have have been successful with and allows you to have a structured approach Right. So the collective knowledge of thousands, if not millions of hours of other people's experience delivered to you in a nice document or spreadsheet or something that you can scroll through and say applies to me, applies to me, applies to me, doesn't apply to me. And I'm guessing that everything in that in in the CSF, it's going to be hard to find stuff that doesn't apply to you. You don't necessarily uh, default to the most granular aspect of the framework. Maybe you don't focus right out of the gate on. Uh, security controls and, and understanding it at, at that detail level. Maybe what you do is begin to help people acclimate to this these five functions, identify, protect, detect, respond, recover, and you relate your business security objectives to those five functions and move as you're comfortable to the right. You would then relate your cybersecurity business activities to the, the categories of which there are 22. So it's a little bit more accessible when you think about it because it, it, the categories are a little bit broader and you can begin to become comfortable understanding the lexicon and how what you do and what your risks are relate to these fairly high level uh, descriptions of lifecycle activities as it relates to cyber risk management. And then figuratively move to the right. So from functions to categories to more detailed subcategories. And then if you desire, really focus on your uh, achievement of detailed security controls within the organization. Once you've done that, all of all of your results then flow through this construct of subcategories, categories, and functions so that you have the ability to have this cyber risk conversation 
throughout an organization. We've had many instances where somebody will say, well, you know, I'm already an expert at this. I don't really, you know, uh, there's nothing you can possibly teach me. And, and so my reply has always been great. I'd love to take a look at what I have. I'd love to learn from you. And they go, yep, done it. Yep, done it. Yep, done it. Yep. Oh, ooh, I haven't thought of that. And there's always at least that moment because as smart and intelligent and experienced as any one person is, you're not as smart as exper- and experienced and intelligent as the collective. There's an efficiency and a precision that you gain in cybersecurity dialogues when you're using the same language. And the framework is the basis uh, for that language. The framework can be used for a number of important business functions. For, for instance, assessing your business objectives, how those business objectives rely on technology and cybersecurity. In other words, something called a dependency analysis. That's something that can be performed with the structure of cybersecurity framework. Also, the structure of cybersecurity framework, because it's really a catalog of cybersecurity outcomes, that same structure lends itself well to aligning and deconflicting all the cybersecurity requirements you're beholden to such that you can develop a cybersecurity program or evaluate your pre-existing cybersecurity program um, and make sure that it is uh, truly working to fulfill all of the cybersecurity requirements that you need to fulfill. Start at the left and move to the right as it makes sense for you, right? So uh, you don't have to do it all on day one. You can grow into it. One thing on everybody's wish list is to actually measure the extent to which it reduces risk. You know, I would love to embark on that sort of effort as well. There's, there's a foundational thing that's not really available in our cybersecurity ecosystem that kind of prevents us from getting from point A to point B, and that is there's a lot of work to be done just in the generic cybersecurity measurement space. Free flow of information for the sake of measuring uh, risk reduction, for instance. So once we have that space better developed, I think we'll be better able to answer questions like, is this cybersecurity framework truly reducing risk in, in a quantifiable sort of way? In the meantime, uh, what NIST uses is uh, anecdotal information, uh, which over time becomes more and more empirical. The more parties that we ask, is it working for you? How is it working for you? What is the feature that's working best for you? How do you use it? The more parties that we ask that series of questions to and get reasonable answers back, the more that anecdotal sort of approach becomes empirical. And so we are indeed trying to approach the risk reduction question from a different angle here. Look at it, if, if you've got, you know, open up that spreadsheet and, and look at it by functioning category, right? And then go down to these the subcategories in there uh, and do your best to ask yourself, how does this apply to me? Uh, and, and, and try to, you know, look at it rather than the way we look at PCI, where how can I limit my scope and how, how can I minimize how much of this I have to do? Uh, assume that the scope is everything you do, right? And, and, and this is one of those things where be inclusive of your entire organization, understand and, and try to accept this, uh, this framework or whatever framework you're using, whether it's ours or NIST or whatever. Look at it and go, does this fit my organization? Can I, can I get value out of it in a timely manner? Can I measure uh, positive impact, right? Does this give me goals? Does the what are they right? What can I get? Where do, where do I have deficiencies? If the answer is everywhere, pick a couple of the the most important and, and work your way down. And I, I'd probably say don't don't try to go out if if 
unless you've done it before, don't try to go it alone. It's a, a tremendous project, no matter what framework you're picking to try to go at it alone, because it's, it's tough without the experience of having done it before. Uh, but again, these things are essential because it's the collective knowledge and, and, and experiences of others uh, who, while you may be a special snowflake, you're still a snowflake, right? And everybody is just a little bit different, but in that same way. DHS, I know, has been working with the insurance industry to have them understand the, the value of this consistent way of looking at cyber risks. So our suggestion is that they that the insurance industry could use the framework as a way to gauge cyber risk to better underwrite cyber liability policies, right? And over time, what happens is as there's loss experience, the insurance industry could then determine, you know, which controls or set of controls or sequence of controls are effective, where there are, are gaps in controls, which controls over time don't really uh, offer much in the way of insight. And so basically the suggestion is perhaps the cybersecurity framework could be used to determine risk for the purpose of underwriting cyber liability insurance policies, but also develop actuarial data over time because you'll see which controls are effective, which ones aren't, where there's gaps and so forth. In many ways, cyber liability insurance policies, there's not a lot of confidence in being underwritten in terms of the liability and the risk. If I'm an insurer and you're trying to get a policy from me, how am I going to know that you are working at some kind of structured approach to security? Am I going to create my own? That's unlikely. Uh, so what am I going to use? I'm going to use the same yardstick that I can measure a thousand of my applicants for cyber insurance or uh, and, and say, okay, how do I create some way of understanding and, and comparing and, and contrasting these organizations? How do I know what they're all supposed to be doing? What works? Uh, and and that's you know that's kind of the purpose of these things. Uh, that's I I I'm, I expect fully expect to see the uh, the uh, framework model being approached um, more often. And it's not you're not going to be asked. Um, I don't think it's going to be like go use COVID or go use ISO or go use NIST or else. What you're probably going to start seeing is what framework are you using and can you defend it uh, your use of it. Um, and the idea is going to be, does it cover the basics? Is it justifiable? Does it provide value to you? It's really important for the purposes of M&A to demonstrate that you're doing the right things and is the, the, your, your company or your business is a sound investment because you've invested in you know, cyber risk management. But from a governance standpoint, you can imagine how valuable it would be if there is ever a breach, right, you, you ever encounter a breach and you have to defend yourself in a court, to be able to point to something that is as visible and well-respected as the cybersecurity framework um, and say, this is, this is the process that we use to manage our cyber risk management. It's absent something like that, whether it's a cybersecurity framework or something like that that's uh, recognized as a standard you run the risk of being found you know, negligent. And so I think a lot of organizations are beginning to understand that they have to have something to hang their hat on. I think if you're a board member, if somebody comes to you and says, I want to pick a framework uh, to align to, uh, you should probably do jumping jacks and, and be excited uh, because it, it's a, it, to me, that's a clear sign that they get it, um, that they're trying to uh, not be, uh, they're getting away from the, we're different than every single other company ever 
because you know we're doing something completely and utterly different. We're going to go at this alone. If you're on a sitting on a board somewhere, you should absolutely be asking, are you using frameworks? What are they? What framework are you using? Why are you using it? Can you defend it? Does it make sense for this company? And if it does, fantastic. How close are you to your goals? Not to 100%. What are the goals you've set? How close are you? What are the milestones? You know, and and that those are the things that we should be asking. It's that engaged conversation. What business value does this framework provide? That's a that's a pretty big question. Of course, cybersecurity is a rapidly changing field, and NIST is already working on updates to the framework. We had always said that the cybersecurity framework would need to evolve, that should be a living document as an objective, so that it can evolve with technology, so it can evolve to counter threat, so it can take uh, best practices for a given industry and bring those into a knowledge base to make those standard practices. So, and, and so that framework could evolve at a pace that candidly legislation and regulation just can't. So for all of those reasons, evolution of framework has always been a part of the picture, even since the original uh, incarnation. And so we are working on a version 1.1 framework right now uh, where our stakeholders asked us to help them better understand how to do the cyber dimensions of supply chain risk management. And they asked for some clarification on the relationship between some of the components of framework profiles and implementation tiers being those. Uh, we're also hearing more and more chatter about cybersecurity measurement and the importance of that to uh, the future of cybersecurity. And so uh, we've added a section specifically on cybersecurity measurement and how one might use that for self-assessment to the cybersecurity framework. And then we've also beefed up the authentication and other dimensions of identity management within framework just to make the framework that much stronger of a construct. I'm personally just really happy to see that some degree of standardization is really beginning to take hold because it's something that we've advocated for for the better part of 20 years. Instead of everybody doing things their own way and everyone having a, uh, every organization have a different lexicon or way of describing why they're secure or how they're secure, their degree of being secure or their degree of risk or so, frameworks like the cybersecurity framework really allow organizations to be on the same page as, as they relate to each other, peer organizations. They can compare their status in a way that's meaningful. There's a whole bunch of ways to understand whether or not you'd like to use cybersecurity framework. And I'll highlight uh, some resources at nist.gov slash cyber framework. First of all, there is a page dedicated solely to resources that have been produced, a uh, great many of which outside of NIST, and that's called the Industry Resources page. There's about 60 resources produced by parties outside of the National Institute of Standards and Technology. So there's an awesome diversity across sectors and various communities there. And so an organization that's considering using framework might simply go look at those. There's a number of webinars that are available for playback. And in fact, uh, in most of our cybersecurity framework uh, workshops, we record a lot of the main stage uh, sort of presentations and, and panels. So those are great videos to go view to learn more about framework and also to learn more about how others are using framework. As the security executive or the security lead for whatever company you're at, 
ask yourself what makes us better. Why are we? Why are you here? And the answer isn't to to, to check the box and, and just you know uh, go through another day. It's to make the organization better. It's make it's to increase safety. It's to do whatever it is that you do, empower and enable. So. You know, what is it that you're doing to help? And if that framework is going to provide that value to your organization, take it seriously. Have that conversation with a, with a board, your executives. It, you should be held account to that. I mean, if you decide that. NIST holds these workshops in Gaithersburg in, in the springtime. And, what I, and I go there to these workshops. And what I've seen is somewhere between 600 and 1,000 people registered from all across uh, different different industries, and not just in the U.S. There there are actually I think eleven different com- countries represented at the most recent uh, workshop at, at NIST. I think it was in May of this year. Um, so you you might argue that a mandate would drive um, would drive greater adoption, but from what I've seen. There is already lots of interest in, in the framework, despite the fact that it's voluntary. I think it's just because the way it's constructed, it just makes great sense. And people recognize that. And for that reason, organizations are very willing to uh, take a close look at the cybersecurity framework and apply it to their organizations for the purpose of managing cyber risk, demonstrating a standard of due care. Um, it's. Uh, yeah, it's it's really it's really impressive to see the level of adoption that that there is already. Can you um, describe to us um, in 2017 you you uh, published the Baldridge Cybersecurity Excellence Builder, which um, uh, builds upon the 2014 framework. What, what's involved with that? The Baldridge Cybersecurity Excellence Builder is really a combination of this uh, performance excellence program that preexisted the Baldridge performance excellence program, which existed since the 1980s and really focuses on quality control and quality assurance uh, and how organizations institutionalize those things with some of the concepts of the cybersecurity framework. And so what what we produced is a 50-question self-assessment criteria in the form of this altered cybersecurity excellence builder. Uh, There's an envisioned phase two where uh, maybe even one day, like the original Baldridge program, there might even be a recognition that goes along with this, uh, where organizations could be praised, if you will, highlighted for doing great cybersecurity things according to these criteria, uh, but whether or not industry uh, favors that sort of approach, that's a bit of a TBD. So for now, uh, we have this self-assessment criteria that any organization can pick up off the shelf and figure out the extent to which they are doing good cybersecurity things within their organization. That's Matt Barrett from NIST. Our thanks to him and to Richard Tracy and Rafael Loss for sharing their knowledge and expertise. Rafael Loss is also host of the Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. You want to check that out. The CyberWire podcast is produced by Pratt Street Media. Our editor is John Petrick. Social media editor is Jennifer Iben. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Executive editor is Peter Kilpie. And I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Imagine a world where you're always one step ahead of cyber threats, where your defenses are impenetrable because you see what others don't. Welcome to Team Cymru's Threat Intelligence Solutions, 
With real-time access to the world's largest threat intelligence data ocean, they enable you to turn the tables on attackers. Transform your security from reactive to proactive through accelerated threat hunting and incident response, made possible through automation. Empower your team with visibility and insights to start defending your organization like never before. Team Cymru. Be the hunter, not the hunted. Learn more at team-cymru.com slash cyberwire. That's team-cymru.com slash cyberwire. <laughs> 